Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. And we're still seeing it quite well through that haze. E equals MC. That all men are created equal. About the future innovations. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another fantastic episode of Finding Your Frequency. I'm your host today, Ryan Treasure, and we got a really cool show today. We're going to talk about how IP can drive revenue and create wealth. And by IP, we mean intellectual property, filing patents, and all of that fun stuff. And we're going to talk to global IP strategist, Janan Glasgow-George, who's joining us on the line. Welcome, Janan. Hi, thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to talk to us a little bit about inter- uh, intellectual property and how that can drive revenue and uh, create some growth and wealth for people. So uh, we really appreciate it. I know that uh, you have uh, you know three keys for leveraging intellectual property trends as uh, key business assets that drive revenue, allowing companies, entrepreneurs, inventors, and others to analyze competition through a new, uniquely telling lens, uh, deciding which products to build next. Uh, and I know that you had uh, written some things up about that, and we'll definitely get through uh, to that space shortly. But, you know, I think our listeners want to know, uh, who is Janan, and how did you find your frequency in life and in business and decide to uh, be a global IP strategist? Wow, great. Thank you. Well, first of all, I guess I would say the thing that motivates me throughout my entire career has been that I believe that everyone has the power to create. Right, so we're all created in God's image and likeness, and so we have this amazing power to solve problems with ideas and to think of something and then actually create it or make it. Um, so I started out my life and my career in new product de- development, making and designing new products in an industrial research and development setting. And I did that for a while, and then I realized I don't wanna be an expert in just a small area of technology I'd really like to broaden my horizons, and that's what led me to finding my frequency as an intellectual property attorney. So I work still transforming ideas into reality, but I do it with words now instead of through products directly. So patents are assets. Every single patent is an inventive solution to a problem that's explained in a story. And that story has value or it can have value, especially that's tied to a business activity. And the great thing about our economy today, especially in the United States, but elsewhere around the world, is that people can specialize. So you can come up with these ideas, these inventions, and not necessarily have to take it all the way to market yourself by starting up a business. You can license or sell those solutions, but first you have to participate in the patent asset game, if you will. You have to create a patent. And that's what I do as a patent attorney. Oh, well, that's awesome. So as a patent attorney, you get the unique opportunity to kind of find out about all kinds of new, uh, newly developed products and services and, and all of that, right? Yeah, absolutely. So in trying to expand my horizons, I also engaged a lot of really amazing people on my team 
who have technology backgrounds that are all a little bit different. My background is in engineering, specifically in textile engineering. So some biomedical applications, some electrical materials, polymers and fibers and stuff. But people on my team have backgrounds from PhDs in biotechnology and immunology all the way to electrical engineering and computer science. So inside my law practice, we get to see inventions from that entire range of solutions, from high tech to biotech, if you will. And the cool thing about that is that there are a lot of commonalities. There are some common factors in the way that people solve problems. And so in, in monitoring those patterns and checking those out, we can engage with clients to simulate even more valuable inventions than just the specific invention that they start with by giving them data and some context and these important factors that change. Um, we're able to create more valuable patent assets, things that ultimately create wealth because having an idea everybody has them but you have to do something with it to transform it into an asset and so yeah it's great to see things from across the spectrum right yeah and that's uh one of the reasons why i like doing this radio show for a similar a similar reason right i I get to talk to really cool people about different aspects of life and business and um it helps me because i get to learn about all these different sectors uh and so being an an ip lawyer you are you you literally have your hand on the pulse of uh you know like what's happening for tomorrow's technology kind of today which i think is super cool Yeah, and that's a good point because the way the patent system works in the United States and around the world is that you have to file a patent application before you use it publicly. That's the whole point of the system when Jefferson set it up in our our nation was to provide an exchange that was reasonable if an inventor had a solution in order to have that published and to share it so that it wouldn't die off with them, if you will, lifespans were a lot shorter than um, being able to disclose it in exchange, getting this limited exclusive rights that had some value so that during your lifetime you could get a return on the disclosure. Now today it's 20 years from the time you file a patent and, until it expires naturally if, if it's issued, that you have that limited exclusive right. and. 20 years should be enough time to, to make a return on the investment. In some areas, like in the pharmaceuticals, most of the money has actually been at the end of life. But in high-tech areas, there's a lot of value early on. Um, and in a lot of um, smaller early-stage companies, they find that being the first mover, having innovative solutions, and being able to document that through a patent and create assets in your company actually creates your exit. So it's creating wealth in that way. Um, so the patent system makes you have to file first. So we found something really interesting in the 20 plus years I've been practicing patent laws is that by monitoring patent data, we can get some visibility into what's coming next on the market because the patents teach us that. We can see some trends in patent data that are not yet commercialized in the marketplace. So that's one of the other reasons I really like this, or if you will have found my frequency here, is this vision that we get into what's coming and what's next. And it doesn't only have to be super complicated high tech. It can be something simple like um, a food and beverage formulation that includes some CBD or cannabis derivative. So um, there's there's a lot of opportunity 
um, and it's neat to see what's coming in every area. I'm kind of a techie geek myself, <laughs> um, and I, I like cars, so the autonomous vehicles and looking at what's happening there is exciting to me. One of the things we found in looking at all of that data was that Tesla, which is probably the most commercially active semi-autonomous car, soon to be maybe by the end of this year, autonomous car, um, they don't really have a commanding patent position in automobile vision. They've partnered with companies that have. So they have to still either build it themselves or buy it, and we expect to see from patent data that they're going to be buying that. So there's a lot of investment in areas where Tesla needs to have patent position, and if they haven't gotten a footprint there yet, they'll have to buy. That's kind of what I mean by using patent data to see what's coming next. Not just what's coming, but who's got it. Yeah, that's interesting that you you brought up the automated car and that because um, here in Arizona, they just uh, allowed uh, one of the automated car companies to actually start uh, using the vehicles in the city of Chandler or Gilbert, I believe. Um, so it was pretty interesting when you go to those cities and you see these you know cars driving around with no people behind the wheel and you know for me it's kind of like it's it's like a you know walking into a future city and knowing that they're testing all of that out and and all of that i think the company's called when venmo or something like that but um it's been pretty cool to see those autonomous cars in action you know um, just kind of making a point uh, on that and then you talked about cbd and i've done a whole bunch of shows on cbd and um i was really uh i was really taken back by the number of um kind of uh, applications that people are using that and then i found out about nanotechnology for the delivery mechanism <laughs> and all this other crazy stuff that's happening but i think some of those uh some of those ideas will really push uh biomedical stuff even further um you know once uh, uh you know like the medical stuff is is deregulated and or declassified as a schedule one because uh, you you can't really do a lot of you know uh medical testing with it right now because of the way it sits in uh in in the federal government but uh, i see that some states like california and colorado uh are are now having all of these uh cool inventions around that too that which i think is pretty interesting right and so you bring up the cannabis sector we've been watching patent data there um with our software magic number that gives us kind of this weather map of what's changing every week you know how you check the weather map up on your phone. We like to look every week to see what's changing, you know, with the patent uh, forecast, if you will. Um, and in cannabis, it's the growth rate has just been tremendous. In the last five years, the number of patent filings are up over 300%. That's a, wow. that's a pretty impressive growth rate. So that means there's a lot of investment <laughs> happening around the innovation. And the number one filer in that sector is um, a pharmaceutical company called GW Pharma that has the first FDA-approved um, medication for treating ep epileptic seizures, I think. But the number two applicant in that area is the independent inventor. So there's a lot of activity. It almost feels a little bit like a gold rush. And what that means is that there may be you know, quite a bit of noise there, but as the regulation settles out and as the market begins to mature, those assets represented by patents can become increasingly valuable because you can't go back in time and, and claim your space. You have to do it now, even though the regulations aren't fully in place. The same with the autonomous vehicles. Companies have to invest in patents early 
in order to have a place. There is no second place in patents because it gives a uh, patent gives the owner the right to exclude others. So you can be excluded from your market even if you're more advanced commercially if you don't have patent rights. So companies have to be paying attention to this data and they have to participate in the patent system in order to be successful. I don't care if it's biology based or if it's supplement based or if it's high tech and, and autonomous cars, you really have to consider investing, but not just do it in a vacuum, right? You need data to inform, is this important? Should I invest the money or not? Whether you're an individual or a company. So it's pretty exciting for sure. I think that it's pretty cool too. Like you, you would want to have a patent if you invented something anyways, because you don't want to, you know, put something cool that you've created out there for somebody just to steal it from you either. Right. Cause then I'm sure that, that, that kind of stuff happens where, you know, you might have an inventor who has a really cool idea and like tells his buddy about it. And the next thing you know, like somebody else has filed a patent on something that you created because you didn't jump at it fast enough. <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting point. Well, you know, it's not ever appropriate for anybody to steal an invention and claim it as their own. I mean, ultimately, that would probably be invalidated. Companies do take ideas and add add their own twist to it and make filings. And so it's important for everybody to know that it is a race to file. You have to be the first to file if you have an invention that you're solving a problem. The other thing to think about is if it's a really important problem, if it's a significant problem that you're solving with your invention, then that means there's gotta be some commercial opportunity there as well. So all of your people will be trying to solve the same problem. And what's amazing when you consider billions of people on her planet, somebody else is gonna come up with something similar. So if you think there is something to it, commercially and, and technologically, it's worth exploring and at least pursuing some patent coverage if you have a reasonable sense of how you'll exploit it in the future. How will you get a return on that? Still an asset. You've got to use it in some way, right? Yeah, when, when Voice America was early on in its days back um, in like 1999 and 2000, uh, you know, right directly after the dot-com bomb, uh, there were a lot of assets that we had as a company that we had uh, IP for. And uh, for a long time, our company just operated on an IP-based strategy and went public with, uh, you know, some of the technology that we had created. And um, so now, you know, we were leveraging some of those cool technologies that were patented then and you know, now here we are 20 years later and like some of the patents are starting to run out. Um, and then you start to see some like new players in the space um, leveraging some of that technology now that it's, uh, you know, not not locked away, so to speak. Is that something that happens with the, a, a lot of uh, a lot of inventions? Absolutely. It happens everywhere. Right. Once you have a patent or something that's published, even that you've applied for a patent, that's competitive intelligence. Anybody can see it. That's part of this exchange. You disclose your idea, the government will publish it, and in exchange for that, if your claims are reasonable, then you will have exclusive rights. Um, but the, the trick is other people can see it, right? So it's, it's a great way for companies to understand how their competition is investing their R&D. If you think of patents as a proxy for R&D investment, they're the indicator most of the time of what's the best in R&D for a company, of research and development for a company. So if you, uh, you know, take, for example, communications or um, 
you know, as you, as you just mentioned, Voice America and maybe speech to text. That's a very um, a high growth area. So a- analysis of, of speech um, and text from video and from audio, there's a lot happening there, but you can understand who are the companies that have invested? Is their solution really the best solution? How could you modify it or change it? And so we always think that for clients that we work with, it's great for them to look at patent data, not just to understand, could we get a patent, but also to see what's our competition doing? Is there any disruptor there that we've never heard of? And if so, maybe you want to acquire them. Patent data is a great way to identify merger acquisition targets, whether you're a private equity fund or whether you're a larger company. Most large companies simply don't innovate as quickly as smaller, more nimble companies do. And we see that all the time with the really huge companies like Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, they're uh, Facebook, they're acquiring companies because of their inventive solutions, because of their innovation, because of their position um, in, in regards to intellectual property. Yeah, and man. so having those assets can be really valuable for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's 100% true. I I was reading in some of the material that you have some, you know, startup or smaller companies that have like these giant IP portfolios. And then the next thing you know, like a Google is going to go, hey, or Microsoft is going to go, hey, well, it makes sense for me to just buy this company now. um, So then that way I can leverage that. IP strategy with, you know, something I'm building on, on our side or integrated as their own uh, technology stack. And uh, I watch that all the time, especially in the tech sector. It seems like that's just kind of how it works in that space. <laughs> yeah, you make a really great point, right? So the patents are valuable to the startup or the early stage company because they've staked out their space that's exclusive to them. But when you have the giant feet of a Google or an Apple or Microsoft or Amazon stepping into those shoes, that's more valuable to them because their their footprint, their um, distribution, their customer base, their funding is so much greater that those exclusive rights are even more valuable in the hands of a larger company because they can enjoy those exclusive rights to a higher degree. And so it's a win-win, right? We see a lot of serial entrepreneurs repeating this pattern, invent, create, scale, be acquired, start over again, new (laughs) solution, maybe it's a related industry, right? Because often you can translate what you've learned in one sector into another one. The company that you mentioned that we've worked with, they're, the technology is in the electric power grid, right? We all read about how fragile our U.S. power grid is. Well, we need to have solutions that enable the grid to be more robust and to enable people who put solar on their roofs or people who build solar farms to be able to be compensated as if they're a coal-burning utility, you know, a power plant. Well, there are federal regulations already in place for that, but it hasn't been something that's been adopted yet very broadly. And so our client took solutions that they had imagined after they had come out of the telecommunications industry. So their position was, you know, the real problem here is that utilities have a communications problem. We've got to find a way to get the data about how the solar is operating into the system so that it can be measured and verified and cleared and then settled so people can be paid for the actual resource they have, not just, oh, here's $25 credit on your energy bill. (laughs) So those are the kinds of things that we like to see is the wash, rinse, repeat 
of the serial entrepreneur. It's pretty exciting. It makes a lot of impact in our economy, right? Jobs creation, solutions to problems that everybody can enjoy. I love it. Yeah, that's like uh, there's an HBO TV show that I watch called Silicon Valley, right? And it's uh, it's kind of funny because there's some names of the companies, like one of them's called Huli, which is totally a play on Google. And um, and so then these inventors, they're like, oh, we're going to build this. And then, you know, you, you, you get to see kind of from a, a, a comedic perspective where, you know, somebody's inventing something and someone goes, oh, well, no, I'm going to go steal it from them or I'm going to go build it and get it to market faster or I'm going going to take the information and take it to another market like China and do some different patent work there. And so that's something that I had always kind of been intrigued by is um, how does that work on an international scale? Like, how do I make sure that if I invent something here, it doesn't go to market in China and I get nothing out of that, too? That's a great question. So patents are specific to countries. If you want to have exclusive rights in the United States of America, you have to file a patent here. So our rates of patent filing in the U.S., it's over half a million new filings every year. And about half of those come from people and companies outside the U.S. who just want to to play in our market because our market has predictability and there's value. So when you think about other markets, for example, like in Europe or Japan or China or, you know, even into uh, Central and South America or even Mexico, by contrast, Mexico has only about 15,000 patents filed every year. So it's just not as active um, a patent system. So if you want to have exclusive rights in Mexico because that's an important market for you, then you also have to pay to file and receive exclusive rights through their patent system. The good news is that there's some commonality, at least with respect to most of the rules for what qualifies as a patent through the the international filing known as PCT or the Patent Cooperation Treaty. Almost every country in the world. The thing is, nobody files everywhere. Even pharmaceutical companies who have business, right? They they provide um, pharma products that really are across into many, many countries to have exclusivity and prevent someone else from making the same thing, they still have to file those patents in every country. It's very expensive. So nobody files everywhere. You have to think, where are my markets going to be? And then even after you identify the market, say it's China or Mexico, you have to think of how, how can I enforce that there? Will I have an in-country presence? Is the rule of law predictable there or reasonably (laughs) predictable? What are the damages I would see? Is it a big enough stick to prevent someone from infringing? Will I get enough money back? Until recently, that's not been very true in China. Um, About five years ago or so, the Chinese government um, encouraged or required many people, I think all Chinese national inventors, had to file in China before they could file in other countries or participate in the PCT. So the number of patent applications in China is now over a million per year, um, but that just passed us, you know, not that long ago. It's been a big change in policy. Similarly, more companies are doing business in China, and the Chinese uh, legal system has adapted to that somewhat to allow for enforcement of those rights by foreign companies. And so it's 
I think, gaining in importance, and therefore the patents are beginning to be more valuable in countries like in China, even in Mexico. But I think companies have to make these decisions pretty carefully because you can spend tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars filing in various countries around the world where you may or may not really ever have a market or business. So a lot of the time, if you think about it, what companies do is they'll file in the U.S., and maybe just for argument's sake, also file in China and maybe file in the Western European regional filing. But then if they don't file in any other countries like Canada um, or Australia, they're essentially dedicating that invention to the public in other countries. So therefore, in a lot of emerging market countries, there's a lot of free R&D, if you think about it. It's not that they don't have patent systems, it's that the companies make the business decision not to file in their countries for exclusive rights for one reason or another. And And so that means anyone operating a business in those countries has it. Here's the solution. Here's this one. Or combine them from different countries. I had explored something of of this data through patent-free zones, which is kind of a cool way to get the information to investors and companies, entrepreneurs in in small, much smaller economic yeah, areas. I think sometimes too, and I, maybe maybe this is a good example too. Like I remember when um, uh, it was like Samsung and they stole something from Apple, right? And they implemented it. And but that was part of their plan from the beginning. They were like, "Yeah, we're just going to steal this from Apple. Apple's going to sue us. We're going to pay them money. We don't care because we're going to make so much more money than what the lawsuit that we're going to have to pay <laughs> Apple. Like it doesn't matter." Is that is that something that happens like often in the patent world? Yes and no. It, it does happen, <laughs> but it happen, We see it. We see it more from larger companies. Quite frankly, that's those are the cases that where they're well funded, right? Think about it. You also hear about this um, this uh, mainstream uh, term called patent troll, and it's used very negatively. And what it really means is a company that's not actually making and selling a product; they just own the patent rights. Um, and patents are personal property. Anybody who has a patent can sell it to anyone else. There's not a requirement that you make and sell. The term came up because the non-practicing companies were suing companies like Apple and Samsung and, and Amazon and others. And um, it, it seemed a bit annoying. But Apple doesn't care about somebody like that. Are they even going to be able to afford to, to sue them? Are they going to be able to take it to trial? You would have to spend several million dollars just to get to trial on a case like that. So most small companies don't take it that far. Most of what we read about with the litigation, it's the big companies. But think about it. Let's take Apple v. Samsung. Apple doesn't really care about a patent troll, right? No. They'll be like, wait, if I'm infringing, sue me and we'll work it out. Or not. Or even a small early stage company that's Silicon Valley based. They're just going to, you know, sue sue me, call it to my attention, I'll deal with it. Um, but the the large companies, they care about their market share. Think of it. Apple was one of the number one patent investors in user interface control, right? So, like, think of it like the um, the touchless or even touch screen. Apple was the number one patent owner and the number one most profitable in the smartphone sector. It relates to each other. 
they were making hundreds of millions in profit per quarter because of that exclusivity and a great product, right? Do they care about some small company taking that? No, they care about Samsung taking it. That's why we see that bitter, the bitter uh, rivalry and the litigation. Large companies will combat and compete with uh, each other because the, it is so lucrative. There's so much advantage to having that exclusivity in the market share. If it's working like it worked for Apple, Samsung obviously did whatever they could do to take a piece of it and figured, you know, litigation is just part of the cost of doing business. But look, yeah. Apple did that early on. Steve Jobs was famous for, you know, um, the iPhone name, uh, perhaps being, you know, trademark owned by someone else. And the legal decision to, um, you know, or the business decision rather, to launch it before they resolved that issue was, it, it was Steve's position, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, but to launch anyway, we'll sort it out. And obviously, he just wanted to use the, the name that he wanted to use. And I think large companies, particularly if they don't themselves innovate and they haven't bought it, right, build or buy it, then they have to do what they can to copy, to try to work around it. Sometimes it's easier to copy, sort it out in legal. I think for the most part, companies try not to infringe, but you know, there's certainly in the high tech area where you have to move quickly or fail. I think we do see a lot of a lot of litigation. Yeah, and you probably have those, those larger alike. companies are probably working on like similar projects too. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if like, you know, uh, for cloud computing and some of those types of things like, you know, Amazon and Google and Apple and, you know, those companies like they're probably working on, you know, similar, you know, advancements in their technology that will probably, you know, overstep on one company or another at one point. It's like bound to happen when you're innovating that fast. Well, look at the autonomous vehicle area. We've just seen suits by, um, the, you know, key people leaving from, uh, from Google and Uber fighting, right, over um, trade secrets violations. So it's not just patents. It's not just trademarks. It's also the secrets that a company has, um, and they will lure the top talent away. If it's a major market, you're going to see high value in all forms of intellectual property because exclusivity is a desirable thing to have. And that, again, it's about the value of inventions. It's about being able to enforce them. Ultimately, patents get sorted out usually with a settlement. I think 98% or more of cases settle, right? It's just part of business. I think people don't often view it that way. Um, Yeah. So, uh, finding your frequency listeners, we're, we're sitting here talking to Janan Glasgow George, global IP strategist, talking about how uh, intellectual property can drive revenue growth and help to create wealth. Um, you know, as, as we talk about all of these uh, IP components, you know, one, one thing always comes to my mind is, you know, what, what's next for you, Janan? Are, are you going to continue to do patent stuff forever, or do you have some other uh, projects that you think you'll be working on in the near future? Oh, well, thanks for asking. I love patent law, and my law practice is an exciting place to be. So I imagine as long as we are able to continue practicing, I would enjoy that. Um, I have a fantastic team, and we're based in North Carolina on the East Coast, but our clients are all over the U.S. and outside. So it's 
again, been an exciting and fun journey to help people create assets and help teach them how how to create valuable assets that are aligned with business strategy. Um, so I love doing that. But I've also um, recently partnered up with uh, Taylor Brockman, who is a software architect and developer, to create magic numbers. So this patent forecast software that helps us to see the trends, we're continuing to evolve and develop that. So I'm looking to the future to use some of that information to, to make investment and to encourage smaller companies to grow faster and to develop valuable IP assets. So I'm excited about how to use data that's publicly available um, in a new way that encourages innovation, encourages wealth creation, and doing that through patents. So that's next for me, magic number. That's awesome. So where would uh, where would somebody go if uh, they wanted to get a hold of you and find out more about your services and your and your and your uh, your IP law? Oh, great! Thanks. My law practice is Neo IP N E O I P, and our website is neoipassets.com. And um, I can be contacted through that website or magicnumberip.com. Thanks. Wonderful. Well, we really appreciate you joining us today on Finding Your Frequency. It was a wonderful show. Some great insights on how the patent market works, and especially internationally. I know uh, there's probably quite a few American inventors who have those questions, and so this will be a great resource. They can listen to this radio show and uh, find out how some of that works. We appreciate you joining us today on Finding Your Frequency. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. For those guys that are listening uh, to the radio show on your favorite pod device or your favorite podcast uh, software, please make sure you share it with your friends uh, and also rate us a five star because we like that way better than four stars. And I appreciate everybody tuning into the show today right here on Voice America, the leader in live Internet talk radio.